passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Justin, we have a podcast. Diving, diving deep. deep. Diving deep into all things Texas. Both on and off the field. Here's Sean Pendergast and Pro Football Hall of Famer, the General, Sean McClain. Welcome, welcome to Utopia. Hey everyone, it is the Hugh-topia Football Podcast mailbag episode as we've wrapped up uh, we've wrapped up all the training camp practices. We knew that, but we've wrapped up the uh, 53-man roster cutdowns. By the time you're listening to this, who knows? There may be some guys that have already been shuffled off various rosters around the NFL, the waiver process. Ongoing as we record this right now. In fact, as we record this, the deadline to get waiver pickups in was literally a minute and a half ago. So um that's the that's the setting we're in right now and we got a lot to dig into with the houston texans and your mailbag questions as well h-o-u mailbag at gmail.com is our mailbag address i'm sean pendergast one half of pain and pendergast on sports radio 610 in the mornings joined as always by my good friend the hall of famer and he's our senior columnist at sports radio 610.com john mcclain john how you feeling did anybody did you get cut yesterday did you get that bad phone call or uh, you're still on the roster you and i are both still on the roster right now it's funny because they don't tell people when they make it you know if you're a borderline guy and you're like say daria Gumbawali, who's the fourth running back who's hurt and maybe they're going to put him on hour i don't know because you got to be part of the 53-man roster if you're going on hour and get brought back Otherwise, you're done for the season. So a guy like that, they don't call him and tell him, hey, you made the team. You're sitting around waiting if you're on the bubble for the call that you hope never comes. And so that's got to be agonizing. I've talked to some players about it through the years. Some guys get called cut so many times before they finally find a home at the spot that fits them. And I just the excruciating the nervousness that must go on for guys on the bubble. Have you ever heard any stories, John, about people messing with guys who are on the bubble? Like where they either oh, yeah. get, yeah, like, like buddies of theirs calling them or people calling from inside the building and they look down at the number and they're like, Oh God, they're, they're, they're calling me. One time uh, a rookie tied in slash fullback with the Texans, John Henry Mills. Uh, John Henry had a pink slip, bring his on his locker with a playbook to, come to Jack Party's office and Jack's office is an old facility was actually in a closet. It was so small. Nobody could walk in it. You open the doors and you stood in the hallway and talked to the head coach. And he, and he knocked on the door and party said, come in. He opened the door. He's standing, standing in the hallway and he puts his 
playbook on uh, Party's desk and thanks him for the opportunity and and uh, knows how hard it is. And and Party looked up and said, son, you're the victim of a vicious prank. You oh, made the team. Dude. And John Henry Mills is like, his heart had sunk. And he goes to find out who did it. And he said he would find out who did it. And eventually somebody told him it was backup quarterback Cody Carlson. So Cody, who dipped snuff every day, John Henry told him, I'm going to get you back. And he got Cody's snuff can, went to the trash, and dug out coffee grinds and stuffed that snuff can with coffee grinds like it looked like snuff, put it back in Cody's locker where he saw it. And everybody was watching Cody when he came in. Well, he didn't dip that day. Eventually he did. And if people were watching him, he didn't know they were watching him because they were talking. And all of a sudden, the media could be in there. Back then, we could be in the locker room almost all the time. And we were in on it. And so everybody's watching Cody, takes a couple things, puts it up in his lip. And all of a sudden, he makes his face and he makes another face. Then he runs over to the trash can. He starts spitting it up. And he looks around. And he looks at John Henry Mills. He said, I told, told you I'd get you back, MFR. And then Cody, I got to finish this. I know we got a podcast okay. to do. But it's such a great story. And so Cody said, I'm going to get you back. So he didn't do it for a long time. And John Henry had given up on it. And Cody, the first year he'd retired, he had uh, an elaborate setup in which uh, he would call the PR guy. And the PR guy would, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, you call the PR guy, PR guy would say, Peter King wants to interview you for his football morning in America. He's he's doing an all-pro team, and he wants you to be a special teams player. And John Henry Mills says, yeah, and he says, and he's going to call you on McLean's phone. And he said, why is he going to, I don't know, he just said he's going to call you on McLean's phone because i got to use mine. And so after practice, all the media had been alerted, John Henry's out at the he's out leaning against the wall in a hallway and he's told everybody Peter King's calling me to tell me that I'm going to be in his I'm going to be uh, his all pro special teams player. So Cody calls me and he had told me what he's doing. He says, "He ready?" I said, "Peter King calling for you, John Henry. You ready?" He goes, "I am." I hand him the phone. "Peter, how you doing?" And uh he said, "Man, I'm honored. Can you get my name in that big black type above the story oh you can that's great and he gives him some quotes everybody's shooting it and he goes hang on a minute he said he wants to talk to you and cody says i'm talking in my normal voice i'm on a golf course in san antonio and i'm talking in my normal voice and this dumb you know what doesn't know the difference give it back and i'm gonna tell him i told you i'd get you back you (laughs) hand it back to john henry peter wants you and he's leaning against the wall, and he goes, "What's up, Peter? Uh, uh, uh what?" Uh, and John Henry just sinks to the ground <laughs> while he's got the phone to where he's sitting in the TV cameras and the Chronicle and photographers shooting pictures of him, and finally hands me the phone back. And I told Cody that was cruel. That was yeah. That was, cr- that That's was cruel. That's my bad cut story. Those are cruel. I'm sure there's many, many more. We can probably yeah. do a whole episode on just cut stories if we, we wanted to. Uh, that was cruel because Cody should realize that John Henry got even. 
Like that was it. You're tied at one. There's nothing that says you got to keep doing more. You know what? I'm glad that Cody Carlson sucked once he became the starting quarterback of the Houston Oilers. <laughs> Those Baylor guys got to get the upper hand. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, right. Yeah. Damn, you mess with skills mills, man. Right? There's one, like there one who would not leave his room. They had to come get the police to come get him in San Antonio. There's another one. I followed him to his car. Oh he told God. me he'd kill me if uh, I wrote it. Dude. And I didn't know if he's serious, so I didn't write it. And the best one of all, a player who was cut told me in the parking lot that he was cut because an assistant coach was having an affair with the player whom he kept over this guy who was cut. And I'm like, well, that's not on the record, is it? Yeah, it's on the record. And if you don't write it, I'm going to go talk to Dale Robertson. Dale was working for the Post then as my competition. I had to go get that coach and see if he had any quotes. And that's a story for a different day. And I can't tell who they were. I had to tell a coach what a cut player said about him and see if he wanted to respond. Thank God the Chronicle said, we're not running this. Okay. Was having an affair with the player. Right. Okay. Wow. Okay. Man, John, you do have story. I almost feel like crumpling up the mailbag right now and just do a whole, do an all cut story episode of the podcast. All right. So let's, um, that's good stuff. Glad I asked the question. <laughs> so um, so let's get into the Texans roster, John. 53-man roster. And I'll get into your thoughts just on surprises in just a second. But the big story, especially on the heels of Nick Casario's press conference earlier this morning, is Kenyon Green, the 15th overall pick last season in 2022, going to IR. He had a, he had a real struggle of a rookie season last year. Um, he was banged up coming into the league. He was banged up in the offseason. He's still apparently dealing with a shoulder injury of some sort that led to him playing with backups and not well in the third preseason game against New Orleans. And now the Texans have just decided to punt on 2023 with Kenyon Green, put him on IR, presumably get surgery, let him get well, and hopefully get in shape too, and, and become some semblance of the player they thought they were getting with the 15th overall pick. Before I get your thoughts, the last thing, John, is that Nick Casario had an interesting quote today in that press conference where he said they knew it was a matter of when, not if, this might happen with Kenyon Green. The implication being that they just hoped he'd be able to play through it this season, then get it fixed later. Um, obviously, that was not the case. Like They need to get this thing fixed now. Uh, shoulder injury, I believe it is. Um, so, John, what are your, I guess, thought, just general thoughts here on Kenyon Green going to injured reserve? Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. 
Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Kenyon's got issues beyond uh, his injury issues. D'Amico Ryans uh, on Sunday, I mean on Monday, I asked him about Kenyon and he said, I'm proud of Kenyon, what he's dealing with, what he's overcome. I said, you mean injuries? And he hesitated and he acted like there was something else there, but he said yes. And then Nick said, not only is he dealing with injuries, he's dealing with personal issues. Mm -hmm. So whatever those personal issues are, whether it's with Kenyon or whether it's with people close to him, we don't know, but this is good for him. Problem is it's left a huge hole where we thought would be solidified when they made him the 15th overall pick from Texas A&M. And now their offensive line is is just got big holes. Yeah, it's in, it's in shambles. Add to that, Juice Scruggs dealing with a hamstring. Titus Howard, his status is still up in the air for week one. Uh, Nick Casario said today that Titus should be back pretty soon, but they're still working through the Titus Howard issue. Yeah, so, he yeah. Didn't, he didn't, excuse me. He didn't, I asked him about Titus too. He didn't sound confident like he was coming back. It wasn't, well, we, 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 he will be back. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. 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 yeah no, he, for, I, I'm guessing right now, Titus ain't playing against the Ravens. I would, I would say the same thing. I get, yeah. I guess what I'm thinking of is that Titus and Charlie Heck got, but, grouped into the same question that you asked the question, John, about those two. Yeah. They got kind of grouped into the same question. So maybe I'm just thinking of Nick saying that Titus will definitely be back sooner than Charlie will be back. Um, and we don't know. Charlie will play this year. You know, yeah. he was a swing tackle. There are reports. Yep. It's a foot injury. I watched him walk all through training camp with no issues whatsoever, but now he's going to be out for a minimum of four games and, and uh, he might not play this season. So that swing tackle is either going to be George Fant or maybe it's going to be Josh Jones. But, yeah. uh, man, right when you thought their fourth-line coach in four years, Chris Strasser, was coming into a good situation, he's got more problems than anybody on the staff. He does, and they're protecting a rookie quarterback. They're protecting the most valuable <laughs> the most valuable guy in the building over there in, in C.J. Stroud. So that's and again, again, again against Baltimore. I mean, those first few games, Baltimore, Indianapolis, not a good football team, but they've got a pretty good front seven on defense. Um, you know, Jacksonville has some guys who can get after the passer as well. And then obviously Pittsburgh is one of the best defenses in all of football. So um, it's it's tough sledding those first uh, those first five games, just in terms of the the matchups couldn't be worse in some ways uh, in those first four games of the season. Um, John, as far as the 53-man roster goes, um, what were your biggest surprises, either guys they kept or guys that they dumped? Well, first of all, because they're going to add 16 players, I'm, I'm just going to say the only one I'm comment on is uh, that they cut Desmond King. 
Yeah. And they kept uh, Kadar Holman and they kept uh, Skill Griffin over King, who can play inside, outside, started 25 games over the last two years, played in all of them, I believe. And he was a good returner, averaged 9.6 yards per punt return last year. So that was the one that stunned me and stunned everybody in the organization I talked to. Nobody saw it coming. Don't know if it was more of a case of uh, our Holman being better than everybody thought, but I certainly didn't see Shaquille Griffin outperforming him, but they see him in ways that we don't. And uh, you never know, you know, with the second waiver claim, they may pick up another corner or two, and I uh, can't wait to see who they bring back. And uh, one of the things I thought was best is uh, there, besides him, Steven Sims had done most of the returning. He was cut. He may come back on a practice squad, but he's not going to be returning. That means, and, and Casero talked about how few kickoffs are ever returned anymore. Mm-hmm. It tells me Tank Dell, Mr. Excitement, is going to be the punt returner. Yeah. And that is good because every time he touches a ball, he can make things happen. Oh, yeah. No, they're going to need some invisible yards to win games, like those return yards, you know, to, to you know, shorten fields and things like that. I mean, they're, you know, C.J. Stroud has a bright future, but I, I don't think he's going to be, uh, you know, he, he's going to be a back half of the league quarterback for the early time here. So I'm with you. That I mean, Tank Dell set up the the first touchdown pass that, that C.J. Stroud threw in his career in the preseason with a 27-yard punt return. Um, John, nobody asked about Des King in the press conference with Nick Casario today. I was a little surprised about that, to be honest with you. I never thought about it until you just brought it up, but Nick would have tap danced like he does on everybody. Which I know, but I would have liked to have seen him tap dance. <laughs> He would have been tap dancing like Fred Astaire and Jeffrey Hines because that's the one that was the most surprising. But I just it never even crossed my mind. All I was thinking about was the offensive line because that's my column I'm writing on uh, Sports Radio 610. Okay, John, sometimes you got to do it for the people, all right? I know you got a column to write, <laughs> but sometimes you got to do it for the people. Hey, one one other thing, and I guess this is maybe not 53-man roster surprise related, but it was I, it was an interesting little blurb that came up late in the show today on Payne and Pendergast that Diana Rossini, who now writes for The Athletic, she was with ESPN, um, tweeted that uh, the Texans have been getting phone calls about Case Keenum and Davis Mills. Um, but for now, they're holding tight with both of those guys. Uh, I guess, John, your thoughts on uh, the, the market for Davis Mills and the market for Case Keenum, and who do you think has a more robust market out there? And do you think ultimately the Texans move on from one or both of those guys eventually as the season rolls on? Well, it depends on Case's injury that kept him out, what it is, if it's anything in his shoulders, elbow, anything involving his arm. I know this, that if, say, Stroud had to miss a few games, I'd feel more comfortable with Case as a quarterback than Mills. Case has won a lot of games in the NFL. He's played mm-hmm. in the playoffs. He engineered one of the greatest miraculous comebacks in history, the Minnesota Miracle. And so he has that kind of experience. And Mills, you know, he did well in the first game against New England, but he didn't do squat in the last two games. And he got extensive playing time. And uh, so uh, I think when you have a rookie quarterback, you better have three. And some teams don't act like they just sign them off the street. But when your third quarterback's Case Keenum, I think your third quarterback is in pretty good hands. Yeah, I think too, John, that there may be a better market for either guy as the season goes on. There really haven't been that many big quarterback injuries that I can think or any that I can think of this preseason. You know, remember like when Teddy Bridgewater got hurt a few years ago, and all of a sudden the Vikings are giving up first first round picks for to get Sam Bradford, who hadn't done squat in the NFL up to that point. Um, who knows? You know, if, if some team that runs this offense 
gets a big injury. The other one I was thinking of too, John, and I don't, I know you probably saw this is that new England is, I mean, they're, they're cut down, left them with Mac Jones and that's it at quarterback. Both of these guys, both Davis Mills and Case Keenum have played in this system or presumably have I'm Kate Davis. I know was never in the building with O'Brien, but he played for Tim Kelly for a year. And I'm assuming the offense was very similar to what Kelly was brought up in, which is Bill O'Brien. Um, and then Case obviously played for Bill O'Brien uh, back in 2014 with the Texans. Um, and, and we know the link between the New England front office and the Texans front office via Casario. Um, I, that was an interesting one to me. I thought I could definitely see the Patriots kicking tires on, on both guys uh, as a, to, to fill out their quarterback room. And they may have. I was stunned about Bailey Zappi. Bailey Zappi played better than Mac Jones last year. Yeah. And he was a fan favorite, and he lit up their offense. I'm just stunned that uh, I'm guessing he's going to get claimed. And they have they obviously have somebody that they think they can sign before they did that deal because they're not, not going to go into the season with just Mac Jones. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Case played for Bill, uh, let's see, Two to one time, and because he was here twice yep. under Kubiak and O'Brien, yeah. Yep. And uh, but I, uh, it's pretty, I think the Texans want to keep both those guys because anytime you're dealing with a rookie, and there's no guarantee CJ's not going to hit a bad spot where he has three bad games in a row, and they tell him, like they did Mills, his rookie year will take a seat on the bench, see it from a different perspective, you'll come back like Mills came back and was so much better. So that's not out of the – that's not – that could happen. You hope it doesn't, but it could. So I can see them wanting to have three. And I, when Case came here, he had other opportunities. And so I'm guessing they gave him some kind of guarantee he'd be on the roster because I can't imagine him wanting to be a free agent again. And we need to point out everybody that's a best veteran with four or more years of experience, they don't – have to go where they're claimed. They go wherever they want. That's right. No, yeah, they they become free agents. So that's yeah. I my theory, and I have no information to back this up. My theory with Case is he's. I think he's looking ahead to the next step of his football life and coaching, as he is the current best scenario for him as a player. And if you're going to get into a coaching scenario, if you can't get on Kyle Shanahan's staff, the next best thing is to get on the staff of somebody who is a successful or potentially successful disciple of Kyle Shanahan and he lives there. And so it would just be such an easy transition for him. Absolutely. Uh, All right, John, you want to do some mailbag questions? I got a little baseball in here. I got a ton of football in here. You want to do some, uh, some mailbag? I absolutely want to do mailbag. All right. We do it every Wednesday. We record every Wednesday, H O U mailbag at gmail.com H O U mailbag at gmail.com. Francisco gets us started in the mailbag. Francisco Guerra says, um, I'd like to know if Jonathan Joseph is just on the coaching staff temporarily or for the whole season. Um, John, D'Amico Ryans was asked about Jonathan Joseph and the job that he's done as part of the Bill Walsh uh, fellowship uh, coaching program that the NFL has where they bring in uh, minority head or minority uh, potential minority coaches to be part of a of a, a team staff. And Jonathan Joseph is one of those. Uh, can you lay out exactly for Francisco and others interested in J. Joe's future as a coach exactly how that works? Uh, you know, Jonathan made a whole lot of money when he played. And um, every time I talked to him in the locker room, I would tell him, you need to be on the staff or you need to be in the front office dealing with player relations, just 
something. And I told Bill O'Brien that one time, and he said, when he's done, he's got a place on my staff. So I'm sure Jonathan, would, he knows about the hours. A lot of players don't want to put in the hours that coaches have to. Some do, uh, but, but most don't. But I'm sure Jonathan took that fellowship and worked with the corners and spent a lot of time with Derrick Stingley Jr. to see uh, how he liked it, how they liked him. But I'll guarantee you he has a future as a coach if that's what he wants to do. And uh, he's not on the staff right now. If they wanted to add him, they could. They can add coaches anytime they want. But I believe we'll see him as a full-time coach next year. John, you had mentioned before it's, that's interesting to me because when you said I've, you said you told Jonathan you thought he would be good at, at X Y Z, and you've mentioned before since D'Amico was hired that you told D'Amico early on in his career the same thing. Is there a guy that you've told that to before that through your observation you said, "Man, that guy would make a great coach." You've actually gone and told him that, but they just haven't acted on it. Like who's who's the best player that you've seen that you've said to yourself that guy would be a really good coach, but he's just not a coach. He's just you know, he's doing something else. There were two guys when I started covering the Texans. One was Andy Kalu, and I said, you know, you are to consider a broadcasting career when uh, your playing days are over. And Andy's made a great career as a broadcaster. And of course, he has a commercial real estate business. And then I told Eric Winston, I used to talk to Eric Winston. I said, man, you ought to be a broadcast. Would you be interested in doing something over at 610? And uh, so I, I talked to them. They hired him, and he Boy, he was prepared. Now, he's not doing that. He'd be great at it. And uh, I I try to remember there was, uh, gosh, my mind has gone blank on this guy, uh, tight end, uh, Joel. Oh, man. Joel Dreesen? Yes, Joel Dreesen. I used to talk to Joel Dreesen all the time. And yeah. Joel thought, talked to Joel about, man, you'd make, a, you'd make a good coach if you wanted to do that. And then he went into, he went into the media business. And D'Amico was a natural. I thought Whitney Merciless was another one that would have been a good coach because of the relationship he had with all the players around him. Mm -hmm. And then his one season here, I took Tyron Matthew about that because yeah. he was such a great leader. Yep. And players listened to the Honey Badger that, that he should consider coaching when his career is over. And, of course, he's still playing for the Saints. Yeah, I, I've always thought Tyron Matthew would make a good broadcaster, too. He always he he's, he's always struck me as very smart with his answers. He's very thoughtful, um, searches his own name on Twitter a little too much, I would say. He's got a little bit of rabbit ears, but that's okay. That probably serves you okay in the in the broadcasting community, I would think. Um, so, uh, yeah, those are interesting names. Uh, all right, let's do another question here. This is uh, Ryan from the Suge, John. He says Sugarland, but he calls it the Suge. I've never Shug. heard it called the Suge. <laughs> Ryan from the Shug. He says, I'm hearing a lot about C.J. Stroud's accuracy and ball placement. After watching Hard Knocks with the Jets, I'm drawing comparisons between C.J. and Aaron Rodgers. I know it's hard. Or I know it's bad to compare a rookie with a Hall of Famer, but if you had to pick a comp for C.J. Stroud and Will Anderson, who are you choosing? So, and I guess he's talking about a comp of what they can potentially become, not who, who they are now, obviously, is who they are now. But John, when you when you hear comparisons or see comparisons or think of that for each of those guys, who do you think of? Will Anderson reminds me of Von Miller, mm -hmm. uh, uh, a little undersized, but a dynamic pass rusher coming off the edge. Von's had a great career. He's on PUP because of a knee injury now. Made a lot of money. Got a chance to go in the Hall of Fame, and that's who other people have made that comparison. But it just seems like such natural fit. 
As far as CJ, you know, not from a size standpoint, but the way he can throw the ball accurately and drop it in, he reminds me of Russell Wilson. Mm-hmm. When Russell came out and he was a, had a winning record as a rookie, and then he became a great great quarterback, he could throw, move his right, move his left. He could bail out and turn either way, and he could throw the ball down the sideline very accurately. He could hit people full stride. And then he could throw the the out routes where he threw them before the receiver turned. And so that's if I had to come up with something uh, right now for the Suge, I would say those two. Yeah, I I think Joe Burrow for me is the one for CJ. I I think there's a lot of similarities with uh, the stylistically their 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 styles of play. Like Joe Burrow doesn't wow you with like a rifle arm or anything like that, but boy, he puts the ball where it needs to be put really good at kind of, you know, managing the game. And I think underrated athletically a little bit too, like CJ is that that's mine for, for CJ, but I can see, I like the Russell Wilson one too. Also Um, about, about him. He has great receivers. It's amazing how much those great receivers can help a quarterback. That is true. Uh, All right. Alex in London is back, John. We're, we're, we're a a global podcast here. uh, Thanks to the internet. Um, he says, enlighten me, as I'm no cap guru, what benefit does a cap savings cut provide a team just before the start of the regular season, especially guys with only one year left on their deal like Christian Kirksey? Obviously, I get it during the offseason when you got a shot to pick up new free agents, but now I guess you can pick up guys off other people's trash heap? Um, is it just about saving the owner a few million bucks, or is it usually the player wanting to leave for more playing time? I would First say of just, all, go, yeah, Alex, go. they don't say the McNair squat. McNair's yeah. don't care about money. Anybody yeah. that thinks the McNair's let money get in the way is a nincompoop. Yeah. And so that never happens. They yeah. need money to sign extensions for players that are playing. Casario does not have a policy like the Texans used to of not signing players during the season. If he sees somebody deserves an extension, they'll do it. Plus, uh, you're you they don't they're not cutting guys now for the cap that's not why they're doing it if an offshoot of that is it gives them more cap money it gives them some flexibility for re-signing their players or claiming a contract correct yeah cap, a, a cap benefit is just an unintended consequence of these things it's not the driving force behind it um like you could find eight other reasons to cut christian kirksey other than his price tag i would say too john this was going to be my answer right off the top was you can roll cap space over to the next year. You know, the cap space that they're saving with Christian Kirksey, if it goes unused, rolls into next year. So the cap thing, don't ever look at the cap as just a one-year snapshot sort of thing. In the NFL, it's a fluid year-to-year thing. You can roll cap space over into next year and then have, for the Texans, for most teams, I'd say you'd have more money to spend. For the Texans for next year, I'd say even more money to spend because they have among the most cap space in football in 2024. I mean, they're 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 like around a hundred million in cap space or something like that for next year. So I would imagine they're going to be big shoppers in free agency next year. And that, that also Casario talked about that in his news conference about rolling it over. Mm-hmm. Some years they've done more than others, mm-hmm. just depending on what they have. And uh, I can't wait to see how he handles that. If indeed he does it, you know, he hasn't spent a lot of money on other people's free agents. He spends a lot of money on his free agents. Yeah. Maybe he'll sign Titus, I mean, he'll sign uh, Larry Tunsil to another extension. It makes him the highest paid lineman in history for the third time. That's in play. That that position <laughs> ages well, John. He'll only be, what, like 31 or 32 when that time rolls around, Laramie. <laughs> so we'll see. Um, uh, Joe Q, frequent emailer to the show, says, um, 
I think this one is mostly for me because I was openly hoping for the first pick once the Texans were in that neighborhood at the end of the year. Um, as you look back on the last eight plus months, how do you feel now about the last second victory over Indy in week 18? And he just has a few bullet points to unpack the questions. Would the Texans have drafted CJ Str- or I'm sorry, Bryce Young if given the chance? Have you seen enough of Bryce Young to believe he's substantially better than CJ? And um, and then he goes on to talk a little bit more about what kind of season the Texans had that they might not have actually been the worst team in football, anyways. Um, I don't know, John. How do you what what were you hoping for at the time? You were hoping for the number one pick in the draft at the time, right? I think they would have taken Bryce Young, and I think there's nothing that says right now. He's a better prospect than C.J. Stroud. Both of them have had ups and downs in preseason. Bryce Young went to a better team than the Texans. They traded up from, I think, the ninth spot to get Young. So he should be better as a rookie because he's got a better team, better players around him. He's got a proven head coach, although I'm going to say he has an experienced head coach who um, has one playoff victory over the Texans in his four years at Indy. So they ought to be better, but can't wait to see the game when they play the Panthers and those two go against each other. But uh, right now, I I would if you offered me a choice of those two, I'd take Stroud because I know more about him. Yeah, I I guess to answer the the question, I'm totally comfortable with C.J. Stroud. I you know like in, in looking back at how adamant I was wanting the number one pick and Bryce Young, um, I've I've been I'm admittedly easily sold to. I'm a sucker. But I, C.J. Stroud has has sold me just on his potential. You know, I don't know what it's going to look like once the bell rings in Week One against the Ravens. I'm guessing that I'm guessing early on it might be kind of ugly for C.J. Stroud. Maybe not all his fault, but I think it could be ugly. But I, I as far as comparing the two in the moment right now on August 30th or whatever it is, I'm totally cool with C.J. Stroud as the future quarterback for the Houston Texans. And another another thing to keep in mind when we're talking about tanking and teams and people like why would lovey smith win that game players always play hard Mm -hmm. players want to win it's ingrained in them they don't want to lose a bunch of them knew they wouldn't be around for this season and if they do something that looks like they don't want to win they could run the risk of injury and then teams watching them may say hey that guy wanted to lose i don't want him on my team Mm -hmm. what you do is you don't give your coach much to work with like the cardinals are doing you know, I think Clayton Toon's going to be their starting quarterback from U of H. And, uh, and, uh, and because they said he did really well, but man, they're getting rid of players over there. They don't want to win. They want to guarantee that they're going to have a shot at, the, at Caleb Williams or Drake May, whichever one is the highest rated quarterback. I want, this is what I want in Arizona, John, because Arizona just bothers me as an organization. I don't know why they're so, they're completely irrelevant, but they, I want Clayton Toon to start a quarterback. I want him to win just enough games so the Arizona Cardinals are not in striking distance to move up and get either Caleb Williams or Drake May. I want the Texans to win a bunch of games so their other first-round pick is in the teens at the very least somewhere. And then I want them to then move on from Kyler Murray after that, invest in Clayton Toon, and then Clayton Toon turn into a pumpkin in year two, and they're left with nothing. Bubkiss. I'm tired of hearing tired of hearing about what a genius Monty Austinfort is. And you want the Browns to be the worst team in the league. Uh, that that is undeniable. I'll take that. That's my first pick of any of these things. And honestly, probably for as long as Deshaun Watson is a Cleveland Brown. That's not just a 2023 thing. If I'm being honest. 
Um, all right, a couple more, John, uh, from the mailbag here. Uh, Melvin in Fort Bend County. Jadeveon Clowney just signed with the Ravens in the last couple weeks. If Jadeveon Clowney did not exist, who do you think the Texans would have taken with the first pick in the 2014 draft? Obviously, they should have taken Aaron Donald. So should a lot of teams, but he went 13th or something like that. Who would they have taken in 2014? That's an interesting question, John. That was Bill O'Brien's first draft. They took Clowney. Who would they have taken if Clowney, let's say Clowney stayed in school? Uh, who would they have Who would they have taken with that first pick? Well, I can tell you exactly where they're taking. And that BS coming out in Johnny Manziel's uh, documentary that the Texans lost interest in him on a golf course, they were never interested. Bob McNair told me off the record months ahead because Clowney was by far the highest rated prospect in that draft, that's who they were taking. There was no mention of Johnny football, but it makes a good story. Khalil Mack, they would have taken Khalil Mack because they wanted a pass rusher. Problem was, Clowney, as he admitted, was better against the run than he is as a pass rusher. And one reason he's never had 10 sacks. Now, I wonder, they made him an offer of like 75 million. They had JJ making 100 million. And Clowney wanted $100 million. If Clowney had taken that $75, and I don't think he's made $75 million bouncing around no. the NFL, what no. kind of career he would have. People, yeah. A lot of people forget he had microfracture surgery, which is about as bad as it can get as a rookie. And then he had two other operations, and he still came on that same day, and then he came back and had nine and nine and a half sacks. So, I don't think his career here was a bust. He hadn't done anything bouncing around the NFL since Bill O'Brien traded him, but I would have loved to have seen him still be on that line with J.G. Watt and with D.J. Reader on the nose, who they got rid of to keep Whitney Merciless. Sounds weird to say, but if Will Anderson's first five years, I'm not saying with injuries, take the injuries out. I'm just talking about purely, I'll say the productivity in Clowney's healthy years. The three years Clowney was healthy, he was a pro bowler. He was literally a pro bowler. He was, you say what you want about no double digit sacks, but he was a really good football player for the Texans, good enough to where he was making impactful plays and he made the pro bowl three years in a row. If, if Will Anderson's first three years are the equivalent of Clowney's three pro bowl years that he had, I still think people will look at this trade. Some of it may depend on how the Texans do, obviously. If the, if the first pick that they gave to the Cardinals winds up being a top five pick, Will Anderson almost needs to be a Hall of Famer for people to be able to get a narrative going to justify it. But if he's Clowney for the first three years, it's interesting because Clowney was good but not great. I wonder what people will be saying about that trade if Will Anderson years one, two, and three are the same as Clowney years three, four, and five. That's a great point, and we also should point out whatever the Cardinals do, they're liable to screw it up. That's a fair point as well. Boy, that's disrespectful to Monty Austin for it. Who I just said everybody's giving way too much respect to. <laughs> so good job, John. Way to disrespect him. I like it. <laughs> All right. Um, this is from uh, Jeff F. Jeff F. Please discuss what technically is your point that Yiner Diaz is a better defensive catcher than Maldonado? I, oh, have, ba oh. I have sit tight, John. I have baseball experts. Let me just pause right there. I love how Jeff uh, makes it sound like he has a room full of baseball experts in his house. I have baseball experts that question Diaz's technique behind the plate, exclamation point. Maybe that's why a few pitchers prefer him. And then he says, I love your podcast. So, Jeff, we, we had a little fun with you right there, but we love you 
that you love us. But John, I, I couldn't disagree more vehemently with loyal listener and lover of this podcast, Jeff F. Jeff, first of all, Maldonado's 37. Last year's contract, he's going to be gone. His next job will be as a coach and then eventually a manager. Um, let's see. Diaz is hitting more than 100 points higher. He has 19 home runs. He has the second strongest arm in baseball. He threw out three runners in one game. Maldi leads the majors in pass ball, and his framing is, is among the worst in the league. Other than that, he's been great. <laughs> yeah, like this, Jeff, go look up, go find some advanced stats, like John just said. Like he's he's literally the the only thing he has going for him is that he's well liked by important people on the pitching staff. That's it. I and a manager. But, but John, I promise you this: if JV and if Fromber both said we don't want Maldonado catching us anymore, he wouldn't. They Maldonado wouldn't be catching them anymore. Oh, you're like right. Dust, Dusty's not going to force. He's not going to force Maldonado on those guys. Um, so he's just. And Dusty's not going to throw Maldonado under the bus either. So the fact that those two guys both want Maldonado, Dusty's happy to go die on that hill with Justin Verlander and Framber Valdez. Yeah, could Framber have pitched any worse since the All-Star? He's had two good games since the All-Star break. Dude. Imagine how bad he would have been if Diaz had been a catcher. John, he's had two good games, and in both of those games, he hasn't given up a hit. <laughs> like, it's, it's the most schizophrenic thing I've ever seen. It's unbelievable. Diaz and Chaz McCormick should never come out of the lineup. They both hit 19 homers. They're both in the 280s. They've been so much better than anybody anticipated at the plate, and yet they still don't play full-time. Well, Chaz does. Chaz plays full-time. I, I wrote he's... a column last week where he's been – he was held out of, let's see, it was 127 games, and he played in 83. No, I know. No, he was, he, 03, that's over 40 games he was not in. I, no, I get it. But that was early in the season. Like, you can't say he's not an everyday guy now. He's in the lineup every day the last few he months. He wasn't in the lineup yesterday. Uh, yeah, because he, he these guys, because they rest these guys. John, you're 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 a little too alarmist with this Michael Brantley coming back and replacing Chaz thing. I, uh, you don't often get under my skin like you do to Seth C. Payne sometimes. But that bugged me today, John, when you were already crying, crying the blues about Chaz McCormick because he had his first night off in 13 days or whatever it is. I don't want Brantley taking away plays that Chaz – he can't play the field like Chaz. And even when he's hitting 300, he didn't have the power of Chaz. And a couple times he drove in more runs. And, of course, Dusty loves him. He will do that. But I can't wait to see how they put him in. There's a couple – those two guys I would just want in the lineup almost every night except when they needed a breather. I think the guy who's going to get at-bats taken away and Brantley coming back is Yiner. Yeah. I think I think Brantley is going to – Let's. I mean, John, we have to accept the fact that Maldonado is going to play at least 60% of the games. I mean, that's just – it's how it is. I'm not I'm, – you know, don't shoot the messenger. You know this. You watch the Astros every day, every day like I do. Um, but now you inject Michael Brantley into the situation. He's not just going to sit there on the bench waiting to pinch hit. He's going to start a bunch of games. I think where it eats into, if I'm looking at, you know, there's only so many at bats that can be doled out in, 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 you know, course across the course of several games. Who does he eat into? I think he eats into Yiner Diaz's DH time. Or maybe, you know, like maybe this means if you want to keep Yiner's bat in the lineup, then Yiner plays first base and it eats into Abreu, you know, like a, there is a rip. It's 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 really interesting because the DH is such a malleable, fluid parking spot for all these guys, and they all DH at some point here, especially Yiner and Brantley and Jordan. That um, it makes for some interesting permutations of lineups here down the stretch and trying to keep certain guys' bats in the lineup. You're absolutely right. 
And what's good, it's stretch drive. They're healthy. Other teams yeah. have an injury issue right. that they this had is, earlier. This is a good problem to have. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's a good problem to have. Um, all right. So, uh, yeah, we got our red-hot Astro. John, as you and I record this, they're in a virtual tie for first place with two other teams. They are. And it's Seattle dominate, has dominated the Astros. The Astros dominated the Rangers, and the Rangers have dominated the Mariners. The Astros that, only have three games left against Mariners and Rangers, but the Mariners and Rangers have seven games against each other. Yeah. And another thing, the Mariners have not capitalized on playing the White Sox, Royals, and the A's in consecutive games to build a, a lead in the division. Like they got beat uh, uh, Tuesday night uh, by the A's. And uh, so I, I, I don't see any of them running away with it. And maybe the Astros' health, as well as their experience, it certainly helped their bats lately. They've yeah. just exploded at the plate. There's so much fun to watch. So maybe that playoff experience will help them over the Mariners and Rangers, although everybody right now is picking the Mariners to win the division. That is a sexy baseball love triangle, John McClain. The it Mariners sure dominated is. the Astros. The Astros dominated the Rangers, and the Rangers dominate the Mariners. All three teams just sitting there in their – Bondage suits dominating each other right now in a love triangle. <laughs> <laughs> I think it'd be more like a hate triangle. There'd be a lot of spanking going yeah. on. <laughs> yeah. And not the sexy kind of spanking either. <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, if you want to email the show, you can. H-O-U-Mailbag at gmail.com. John, I think we start doing uh, extra episodes next week because we got a regular season on our uh, on our uh, hearts and minds coming up here pretty soon. I look forward to it. Yep, absolutely. All right, good stuff. John, I enjoyed it as always. Thank you very much, John. Okay, good stuff. Uh, big thanks to James Jackson, our producer, who gets this podcast out to you uh, each and every episode in a very, very timely fashion. We're appreciative of that, and I know the listeners are as well. If you're just finding the podcast, two things that we ask you to do. Tell a friend and hit that subscribe button. That Both those things are really helpful to us. If you like what you hear, give us a review as well. Uh, and um, we appreciate everybody, especially with the seasons here now. And it's going to be uh, going to be a fun ride here. With Miko Ryan, CJ Stroud, and company. Uh, hopefully, taking the Texans to some semblance of glory here over the next few years. Um, we appreciate you joining us for the ride. So, for James Jackson and John McClain, I'm Sean Pendergast. We are out of time. This has been the Utopia Football Podcast. Have a great weekend, everybody.